Yeah, he's right. I've preached before to kindergartners. So this is, this is new. Actually, I, I have to take that back. I've preached one time to adults and it was about an hour and a half ago. So, uh, you guys, you guys get the second time, but I just want to ask a question before we get started. Cause I think this is just a really good picture of where we're going today. How many of you would say that your f- favorite movie genre is either drama or a love story? How many of you? I can kind of guess who that's going to be. All of us women are raising our hands. All right. Okay. That's what I thought. You know what? That's, that's funny. You know what? There's, there's two really, really big chick flicks in this love story. All right. Ruth and Esther. There's interesting how there's two books that are like that. And they're both women, but I just want to say how many of you men will actually watch those movies because you enjoy being with someone. All right. My husband, he so willingly will watch these. And every time, you know, who cries, he does. (laughs) All right. So this isn't just for women today. This is for all of us. And you know what? It's more than just a simple love story. Do you know this entire book is a love story? All right. And so today we're going to delve into this love story that God wrote to all of us in the book of Ruth. So if you open your Bible to Ruth, we're just going to go to chapter one. And if you'd stand for the reading, we're going to read one through six, Ruth one, one through six. It says in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man from Bethlehem and Judea together with his wife and two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi and the names of his two sons were Mahalon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Verse three. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years, both Mahalon and Kilian also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Verse six six says, and when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to turn home from there. And let's just pray. God, I thank you for this beautiful love story, this entire book that you've written to each one of us. And God, I ask that you would allow our ears and our hearts to be open today to hear what you're saying to us today in the context of the story that happened so long ago. God, allow us to be moved by your spirit and what you're saying today in Jesus name. Amen. All right. You can be seated. I just want to kind of put this story in the picture so you can understand what was happening back when this happened. All right. It says in the days of judges, that means that Israel did not have a king yet. All right. There were people that were uh, called upon that helped rule, but they were unlike the other nations. And I think it's really interesting because the story is about this woman that gets to move. Let me gets to move to Moab. All right. And it's interesting because Naomi's husband, Elimelech makes this choice, Bethlehem, where they live, which is interestingly called the house of food is empty. There's no food. He can't provide for his family and he chooses Moab. All right. Ruth doesn't have any choice. She gets to go because in those days, the woman really didn't get a choice in what was going on. So she gets to move to Moab. And she loves the Lord. She's an Israelite. But let me tell you a little bit about Moab, all right? When Moab is talked about in the Bible, I could, there's nothing positive said about Moab, all right? It is 
literally a place where you would not want to go. How many of you have ever been living in a land where the culture and the political and everything that's going on is against a lot of what you believe? How many of you live in America? Let me just, okay. So maybe you can relate. Okay. She's going somewhere where things are not what she wants and she doesn't even get a choice. All right. I, I made a kind of a list of some of the things that the Bible says about Moab, the Moabite women, they lead the Israelites to sin. All right. It's, it's really negative on women. There's a King that, uh, the King actually curses Israel. Moab oppresses Israel constantly throughout the Old Testament. Saul and David are their stories about how they're out and they're fighting and killing Moabites. Solomon, the wisest man in the Bible. You know what his downfall was? Women and Moabite women are listed in there. Okay. Uh, Moab's king literally sacrifices his firstborn son to the King Chemosh. That's the God that they worshiped and just kind of put a picture in your mind. She's leaving Israel where, you know, everything is familiar to her. She's going to this land where literally there's an idol and it's Chemosh. And it's, it's interesting. There's a couple different pictures, but it's, it's hands are out like this and there's a fire that they put under it. And he literally lays his firstborn son on these hands. And as they die, they roll into a fire. All right. This is the land where she's going. All right. And it's, it's horrible land. It kind of even reminds me, you know, they were okay with sacrificing children. How many of you know, America is okay with sacrificing babies. We live in a land of abortion. Naomi, I feel like we can relate with a lot of stuff that goes on. Amos talks about a fire that's going to consume the Moabite. Isaiah says that they're going to be brought down to the dung pit. Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesy against Moab. There's nothing positive about Moab. And Naomi gets to go there with her husband, Elimelech, her two sons. All right. And she's got some choices to make. She's leaving. We're talking about this culture of us. She's leaving the familiar territory of the culture of her home of Israelite. And she's in a comfortable us. And she's going to a place that she has no desire to be. And her husband dies. All right. And if you read about it, she's, she is in literally a low place. All right. She's in a low place. She, she's complaining to God, man, why am I here? Her husband dies. And then to make matters worse, don't miss the fact that then her sons marry Moabite women. There's a law in Deuteronomy 23, three for her in her day that said no Ammonite or Moabite shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. Their descendants shall not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord, and you shall never promote their welfare to the prosperity as long as you live. So her sons marry these Moabite women, and her prospect is every grandchild she's ever going to have to the 10th generation. This is what people are thinking back home. Never going to even enter the assembly. So now the culture has identified them as complete sin. Their behavior is like totally outside of being adopted into this family and this culture. But I think it's a beautiful picture of what she chooses to do, even in the lowest point of her life. Because soon as she hears that there's food back in Israel, she gets up and she goes back and who goes with her says her two daughter-in-laws without their husbands, something's changed. Something's happened in those 10 years. 
because they decide to go with her. Now, she eventually talks to them, and one of them goes back, but Ruth actually follows her. But I just want to talk and, and think about that, because my first thing is we don't get to choose who us is. All right? How many of you, there might be one or two, but how many of you chose every single person in here to be in your family? How many of you chose your in-laws? How many of you would have made a different choice? Okay. Just saying, we do not get to choose us. God does. And in this point in Naomi's life, she decides, you know what? I get it. I know what everybody else is saying, but those girls did not decide to up and leave their mom and dad and everything they knew with this mother-in-law to a land they've never heard of. And they understand what this means when them leaving Moab and going to Israel means they are going to be childless now forever. They're never going to get to marry anybody. They're entering a land where everyone's going to look at them and know that they are Moabite women and still they're willing to come. And Naomi eventually convinces Orpah to go back, but Ruth won't leave. And I want to just focus on what could have happened in those 10 years that created this bond between these two women. We talk about Ruth a lot and the book is entitled Ruth, but what did Naomi do to create a relationship that Ruth was willing to leave those things? She understood this culture of us. She said, you know what? I didn't choose these women. But God placed me here and I am going to be obedient to do what God has called me to do. They are part of my family and I'm going to love them. Love does not condone their bad behavior. I'm going to look beyond what everybody else is seeing and saying about them. And I'm going to do what God says. And I am going to love them unconditionally. And I even think about that interesting thing that it says for 10 years, they didn't even have children. And there's not birth control here, all right? They, they want children. And there's two women without children. And I think about those times when they're, they're in a, a low point. And they must have sat in Naomi's living room and crying and say, I don't understand. I do not have another child. I don't have a child. Maybe they had miscarriages. I don't know. But how many know that there are low points in your life when you want something and you don't see it coming? And who poured into them? Naomi. Because that relationship did not happen accidentally. She loved them day in and day out. They became part of her home and she loved them. And I like to look at that to think about this culture of us right here. How many of you are willing to literally pour into one another? Church is not coming in here on Sunday morning and sitting here. I see people and I am guilty as you out in the hall. How are you doing? Doing great. High fine. And that's like it. This relationship did not happen because she asked how she was doing and she was fine. It didn't happen because on social media, they saw that something was going on and they text praying and that was it. All right. It didn't happen because of that. There was a, such a deep thing that occurred in everything that was going on. And I think so often we look at what's going on in our life. And we're like, you know what? I don't, I can't pour into someone else. You know, this is going on in my life. This is a widow who has just lost her husband in the lowest point in her life. And she's still willing to say, I have something to give and does something about it and gives to somebody else. And even those two young girls, they had 
decided to come into adopted, be part of an Israel, because when they married, that literally meant they were choosing not to be a Moabite anymore and choosing to be an Israelite. And they recognized that Naomi had something to give. And they said, you know what? I'm going to receive. So there's two pictures of us and, and what goes on in those relationships. Both are actually doing something. And I want to talk about that doing something because that's my second point. Us is an action word. Now, if you're a teacher, you're probably going, no, it's not. It's, it's a pronoun. But let me explain a little bit what that means. And some of you, maybe this is over, over here. I'm going to give you just a short grammar lesson, okay? Us is a pronoun, which means it takes the place of a noun, all right? It actually takes the place of the noun or the other pronoun, we. We, the culture of we, all right? Us. But us is an action word because you cannot new, use this pronoun in the American language without it being connected to a direct or an indirect object. It has to be in an action form. It has to be connected. There has to be a verb. And you can go home later and try to do this in your head and try to, try to use us as the first part of your sentence. Impossible, all right? Us is an action word. And I think that's such an incredible thing that looking in this, in this picture, because she didn't choose who us is, but there had to be an action attached for it even to create this culture or this relationship. And she had to be obedient to do something. Us couldn't happen without that obedience. And how many of us are so, I, I kind of look into this, how many of us are comfortable coming to church? You awesome, you get filled, your worship is here, you, you're with your people, and then you go back home, and you don't do something about this culture that we're talking about. I think it's really neat how we're talking about this, be about it. it there's so many things that we need to do. kind of reminds me of some seasons in my husband and my life. There, there was a season when we first were hearing good news in the early 90s, and uh, I, we were brand newly married, and I didn't know a person. You know, didn't know anybody. And we decided that we were going to invite somebody into our house every Friday. All right? Every Friday we're going to, I don't know who you are, at Sunday I'd meet somebody, and I'd like, come on over on Friday night. And it was almost an entire year we would invite people over. And we started developing some relationships. They didn't happen because I was here on a Sunday morning. They happened because during the week we actually did something to get to know people. All right? And we, some of those relationships are the dearest friends of mine. I mean, 25, even 28 years later, some of these people are probably sitting right here and you know who you are. We did things together when times were great. A great picture of that. I don't know what insanity came upon us, but we invited three other families with little kids and we all went camping in tents in Colorado. One of them had a six month old and I don't advise doing that action. It was something else, but those times were incredible and they were Awesome building. I mean, talking about, we were, I can remember sitting there thinking about bears attacking our tents and some of them slept in the cars. I mean, they were fun, awesome times. And those relationships were not built accidentally. We did something all the time, called them up, traded babysitting, did, spent life together. And those very relationships were some of the most important things later in life when things weren't so great. In 2008, I don't know how many of you remember when the market crashed and the home uh, home uh, prices went skyrocketing down, down, down. I guess that's the wrong way, but they just plummeted. And uh, we had had an incredible business and God had blessed us. It was an awesome season in our life. And then 2008, everything changed. 
Uh, he, we had a business, had an awesome sports car. I can remember a boat, great big home. And for four years, we tried to sell that incredible home. We downsized our car, sold the sports car, sold the boat, changed cars again, downsized again. Like pretty soon we're like driving cars. Like I remember driving when we were first married and couldn't get rid of this home. And then in our neighborhood, uh, one of the builders who built like a whole bunch of the homes actually killed himself. And then all of the homes went like bottoms up. And all of a sudden the house across the street was a hundred thousand dollars less than it was yesterday. And we still had this big home that had been on the market for years. It was, it was crazy. But you know what? Those relationships that we had built were life support. God knew that you and I needed each other. And those relationships, if they weren't there, I can't even fathom what it would have been like to go through some of those circumstances. But those people literally prayed when I couldn't pray. Because there were days that I can remember calling somebody saying, you know what? I am just pray that God is my emotions today because I cannot deal with emotions. Pray that God gets me through this. And you know what? I look at Naomi in this. And how many times, how many times when life isn't rough, are you not vulnerable enough to share what's going on? I think that happens so often in the church. I mean, we, I, I'll just tell you, I was on the worship team. I, I can remember standing up here, even, I can remember the song, trading my sorrows, I'm trading my joy. And I can remember standing over here and like nobody knew what was going on besides my few friends and singing that song. And people probably looked at me like, man, God is like really moving on her today. And I'm like just weeping like, God, I can't deal with this. And people that, those relationships literally were life support. Do you have a relationship that looks like that here? That's your life support because God put us here in this place because we each have a responsibility to do that for one another. And it doesn't happen by accident because us is an action word and it is not somebody else's responsibility to dig it out of you. What's going on. It's your responsibility to be vulnerable to one another. It is also your responsibility to recognize that there's somebody sitting in here that has something that God wants to give you and you have to be willing to receive it. Doesn't matter if you're young, if you're old, us means we all have an action to do something to be able to create this culture that pastor Jason's been talking about. It's important. And I love how Ruth and Naomi have done this because there is such a powerful picture of how much they have poured into each other's life in Ruth 1:16. I love that this picture that it paints of how deep this relationship has gone. Ruth 1:16, this is Ruth now listening to Naomi telling her, go back, go back. Don't follow me. This is going to be miserable for you. Don't follow me. And Ruth looks at her and she says this. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you where you will go. I will go where you stay. You stay. I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If even anything but death separates you and me, that is a beautiful picture of covenant. You know, some of us have made this covenant and I don't think we put it in the context. If you're married, you've said this. And are you willing to do everything that you promised when you made it? If you are single in this room, I want you to think about this before you make a covenant because the action.
action involved in fulfilling this culture of us is not a simple thing. It says, I am going to do whatever it takes to make sure you make it. All right. And whatever it takes, sometimes it's huge. All right. It is not a simple, Hey, how are you doing? It's like, you know what? I'm okay. If it costs me everything to make sure you're in heaven with me later, because God placed us together. I remember getting a phone call some five years ago from the school, just totally out of the blue, got a phone call and it said, Hey, would you pick up your second grade nephew from school today after school? Going to need to keep him for about 30 days. All right. They had just moved here from Florida. Didn't know what was going on, but they had escaped some stuff in their life. They came to Omaha, kind of followed them with them. They both got in trouble and, um, mom and dad were in jail. And so we said, okay, some three years later, you know, the God rectified the situation. But let me tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Pastor Jason said it many times. Life gets messy. All right. But are you willing to be obedient and to actually do the action that it takes to help support one another, to make them get through? I'm just going to tell you that little boy that I just said, he and his sister lived with us for three years and they were in first service this morning. They live with mom and they live with mom, or he lives with mom. Now his sister's married. They lived with us for three years and it was not easy, but my husband and I were obedient to say, you know, God, whatever it takes, this is my family. And I'm going to do it. And it cost a lot. There's no support. This didn't go through the system. It was just like, yes, we'll have two more kids today. But you know what? After we got out at first service, I went down there and she came and gave me a big hug because God moved because I was obedient. My husband was obedient. And us is incredible when you do what God has asked you to do. It doesn't just affect you. It affects eternity. All right. When we're obedient together, it's incredible. We don't get to pick us. We have to do something about it. Let me tell you something. There is power in us. It is an incredible power when we are all doing exactly what God has called us to do, because then it's in his hands to fulfill amazing things. When I say it affects eternity, when we do something together and are each obedient to what God has called us to do and get involved in each other's life, become vulnerable when we are and let people pour into us, there is incredible power in what Jesus can do. All right. Incredible power. And even in, as we go further in this book, I, it's such a beautiful picture of what the power of both Naomi and Ruth's obedience. And then again, as there's another person in this family, Boaz, it, their obedience in doing what God has called to them to do is a beautiful picture of what then God can do through our obedience. All right. So I'm just going to summarize it here. Ruth goes out and she recognizes that Naomi can't, she can't work. They are poor. All right. And there's something that's called gleaning. This is when somebody that's poor can go into the field and somebody else's field and they can pick up the grain or the wheat or the barley or whatever's left. They can pick up the stuff that's dropped and they can take it home if the landowner allows them. And so Boaz is a beautiful Beautiful picture of what somebody does in recognizing he has a responsibility to help the uh, us and he lets women glean his field. So Ruth goes out and she's gleaning and, and it's really neat how 
her actions of us actually affect outside of the church. All right. To me, this is kind of a picture of what it looks like where you work. All right. In Ruth two, one and two, it says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth and the Moabites said to Naomi, let me go to the fields, pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said, go ahead, my daughter. Verse five says, Boaz asked the foreman, his harvesters. Okay. So Naomi's out gleaning. She's doing her work. And the person who owns the land, he's got a lot of stuff to pay attention to. How many of you run a business? This man's running a business. How many of you notice the people picking up the trash at your work? All right. This is Boaz, like he's going outside of the box in doing what God's called him to do. So Boaz asked the, for, the foreman of his harvester, who's that young woman? Who is it that young woman is? Sorry, I can't read it here. Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she's the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, so Ruth came and asked him, the foreman, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter. So I, th- I like to look at both of the actions of these people. First, you've got somebody who's out in the workforce or the marketplace or out what she's doing. And her actions are so beautiful of what God has called her to do that her boss literally notices somebody gleaning because she's worked so hard. She's taken a small break and she's still working. I mean, she, and it's not just that she notices the foreman is noticed because he can actually tell her what this woman has done. So people are noticing her actions out there. She said, you know what? I am, I care so much for Naomi that I'm going to go above and beyond. How many of you work so hard at what God's called you to do that the people around you notice your actions? They notice that you're doing it with excellence. They notice that you are not like everybody else. I hear a lot of times, you know, uh, people talking about their work and -and so-and-so's this way and -and so-and-so's this way. How many people look at, say something about what you do in a positive, uh, positive conversation? This culture of us means we're taking it outside of the four walls and we are literally doing what God called us to do and it makes people notice. And Boaz is an incredible picture too because you've got the workers, but you also have this boss that recognizes that, you know what? God's given me a responsibility to take care of those. And he's literally, he lets them glean, but it even goes beyond this because the story goes on to say that he tells his people, you know what, drop grains, drop extra for her so that she has more. And he even gives her some water from the cistern, which is a really big deal because this, this little slave, it's almost like a slave status in this day. He lets her eat and drink from the things that he does. That's a big deal. He recognizes that he has to help take care of those around him. And how many of us notice everybody at work and notice the people around us and are willing to invest in each other's life and let it cost you something? Because I believe Boaz is really that beautiful picture here of he recognizes that he has a responsibility and he's willing to pay the cost of what it would be to him. All right. A lot of us. A lot of us are just so busy in our own lives that we don't take the time to recognize what every, everyone around us needs. But this book is to me a picture of saying, you know what? Stop thinking about yourself. 
recognize the people that God has placed around you and understand that God has asked you to support one another. What are you doing about that? I would say the be about it challenge is a huge thing right now. What are you going to do about it? It's, it's really timely. I told Pastor Jason, it's so interesting that today's the day that we, we are talking about that because I think that's exactly what we're talking about here. What are you going to do about it? Because when there is power in us, Boaz is actually what the Bible calls a kinsman redeemer. That means he is respond. He has the ability to redeem Naomi and her family from the situation that they're in. He can actually do something to change the identity of what everybody else is saying about Naomi and Ruth. And he says, you know what? It's going to cost me something and I'm willing to do it. In fact, it's, I'm, I'm not going to go into the whole thing about the kinsman redeemer, but there's somebody else who is a closer one that has this responsibility as part of the culture of the Israelites of that day. And there's somebody else that has, is a closer relative. And he goes to him and says, Hey, you know, Ruth, we, we need to follow this law and redeem this lady from her husband's lost. You know, would you, would you take Niall or Ruth to be your wife? And the other guys, he wants the land, but when he hears that Ruth comes with it, he's like, ah, absolutely not. I don't want her. Now I, I know who she is. She's a, she's a Moabite. But Boaz looks beyond that and says, it doesn't matter. God said that this is our responsibility and I'm going to do it anyway. And then the power of what God does in that is beautiful because the end of this book is such a beautiful picture of the power of what happens. Ruth four thirteen says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. They went, then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he be famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Naomi took this child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. And then the women living there said, Naomi has a son. They named him Obed. But it's even more than that because I think this last little bit is so incredible. He was the father of Jesse, the father of King David, who's in the direct line of Jesus Christ. There is incredible power when every single one of us does exactly what God is doing, regardless of what it's going to cost you. All right. It couldn't happen without more than one person doing it. It's the us factor. They all had an action to do and they were all willing to do it. And it cost each one of them something very very powerful, but they said, it doesn't matter. God called us to do this. We're going to do it. And then God turned it around and it affected eternity for them. I have a a story of kind of one of this culture of us that my brothers and I have been talking about all week because pastor Jason said, Hey, do you have a picture of that? So I text my brothers and uh, I have four brothers. And so we've been in a text all weekend talking about this because we have a family picture of the power of us. If you want to put that up here as picture, This is an orange Honda motorcycle, and this is my picture of the power of what God can do when everybody's obedient to what God has called them to do. In 1972, my dad left Lincoln, Nebraska. I was two years old, went to a a church in Fargo, North Dakota, and he left in December. My mom was pregnant with my brother, 
And in March, she had a brain aneurysm and passed away. And my brother was born about almost three months premature in 1973. So, you know, they, they didn't live long back then, but God had his hand on that little boy. My mom passed away, young pastor, brand new church in a place that didn't know two-year-old daughter, the son. But the, the weird thing about it is in those days, their insurance was that if the baby had to leave the hospital to come back to actually be covered by insurance. So he was in the hospital for the first 12 weeks of his life and there was no insurance. So young pastor, I mean, he, they were, he was in his early twenties, um, brand new church. And, and here he sat oh, with this baby and he couldn't pay for it. And God started to move on the us back then in that church in Fargo, North Dakota. And my dad was telling me about the story of this motorcycle. I'll tell you, this motorcycle is a picture for me because when my dad would come home, he would take us one at a time and we would ride around the block in this motorcycle our whole life. And this picture is interesting because it's actually one of my brothers had it and it's my brother's stuff because after my bad dad passed away, one of my brothers inherited the motorcycle. And so it's just, it's been in our family forever. But the reason it's such a pretty picture of what us looks like and the power of us is because this motorcycle pulled up in my dad's driveway when my little brother was in the hospital. His name was Ryan. And one of the members of their church pulled in with a brand new, it was a brand new motorcycle, bright orange. With, had, we had the matching orange helmet. And he said, Pastor Dan, God told my family, told us that we were supposed to give you this motorcycle. And I don't know what God wants to do with it, but it's supposed to be part of what God wants to do to pay for Ryan in the hospital and, and your wife and everything that you're going through. And I don't care if you sell it. I don't care if you keep it. It doesn't matter. God told us we're supposed to give it and we are going to be obedient to do it. We just bought it. It's yours. And my dad actually said he tried to convince me he didn't need the motorcycle. And he said, no, God said, give it to you. We're giving it to you. We're going to be obedient. And the reason it's such a beautiful picture is it was one of the first things of, as people started to understand that they needed to help support this young pastor my dad would tell me about all these churches and all the people that started to give things to help support him. And he said that there came a point that every single bill of hundreds of thousands of dollars was paid. And in our garage sat an orange Honda motorcycle. And he said, as people would come over to the house, they say, Pastor Dan, I didn't know you drove. You, you were a cyclist. And he said, well, I wasn't. Well, let me tell you about that motorcycle. There is power when we choose to be obedient to what God asks us to do and it affects eternity. I'm talking 20, 30, I don't know how many years later. And this motorcycle, the obedience of everybody who said, I'll do it, even though it's going to cost me a lot is still affecting today because people were willing to do what God called them to do. Are you willing Ask, the last thing I want to talk about, are you willing to do what God's asked you to do? Because it's not just me doing it. It's every single one of us. There's power when we all do it. It's the us factor. This story is such a beautiful picture because every single person had something that they had to do. Naomi had to give in her lowest point in life. Ruth had to receive. And then she later give, gave Boaz had to be willing to cost him. I can't imagine what it must have been like to say, I choose to marry a Moabite woman. All those things, all those uh, identity things that people talked about were still there. And yet he said, you know what? It's okay. It'll cost me something, but I'm willing to do it because God's asking me to do it. Everybody had a job to do and they were willing to do it. 
are you? You're not here by accident and neither is the person next to you. And what God's asking us to do for this culture of us is not something that's going to happen while you're sitting here in the pew on Sunday morning. It's what's going to happen when you walk outside those doors. Are you going to let somebody in and let them know what you're going through? Because it is your responsibility to say, hey, I need help. Help support me. Be my emotions today. People aren't going to just automatically know what you're going through. And you know what? You need to identify people in this room that can pour back into you. I am in the same place. When I was studying for this lesson, I actually made a couple of phone calls and I said, you know what? I'm not being diligent in letting people pour into me. And I set up some times to meet with a couple of my friends weekly because we all need to be involved to support one another. God established what the church looks like in Acts 2. And it is our responsibility to do something about it for him to be able to do what he needs to do to affect eternity. All right? If you want to just stand, I just want to pray with you guys because I, I want to just really move on your hearts. I was going to give you something to write down a name of somebody who can be involved, but I want to challenge you. When you go home, I want you to put the name of somebody that you either need to pour into or you need to receive from either on your refrigerator or on the mirror in your bathroom. And the reason I pick those two places, it's somewhere you're going to go often and you're going to look at. And I want you to pray about it. It might look like, God, you know what? I know that this person is struggling. I'm not sure what they're going, what's going on in their life, but I'm going to pray for them. And you pick up your phone and you text them a verse and say, I'm just praying this over you today. And you actually pray, not just text it. You actually spend the time to pray. It might be inviting somebody over to your house because you know that they don't have family and you're okay with messing up your nice family holiday or what it looks like or inviting somebody else around your table. It might be understanding, telling your teenage son, go ahead, invite all of those kids over. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they do. I want them to be involved in our life and getting time to actually find out about them. I don't know what us and this culture looks like to you, but it's not something you're going to do in this pew. It's something you're going to do when you leave this place. And we are never going to be able to get to the point of the power that God wants to do until every single one of us are willing to say, God, use me and do it. God, I just want every one of us to just inspect our hearts right now. Some of us, God, literally need to be vulnerable and we're hiding the things that you want to, you want to support us in. And there are people surrounding us right now who are going to be our support system, but we've never even opened our mouth and let them know how. God, allow us to be obedient, to tell each other what we're dealing with to let them know about our circumstance, to be willing to say, it doesn't matter what you think about me. This is what I'm going through and I need your prayers. God, some of us have so much to give. We understand your word and we are so busy in our own lives that we aren't letting you just flow from us. God, I ask that you would allow us to recognize who needs to receive and be willing to do what it takes to pour into someone else's life. God, to let them mess up our nice, comfortable home and bring them in and say, I want you to be part of us. God, some of us need to understand that you are our kinsman redeemer. And we need to be in that place to say, you know what? I want to become part of that family of God, the support system that God has placed here. And I need Jesus. Whatever that looks like for each one of us, God, I ask that you would allow us to be inundated this week with reminders that there's something we need to do. 
bring the names to our minds, God, of who we need to pick up the phone and call. And God, don't let us stop just thinking about it. Help us move to actually have action behind what you're asking us to do. And God, I am anticipating the stories that are going to come from the power of what each one of us are doing, what you've called us to do. God, they bring, every one of them bring back us to who you are, the victory, our hope. God, allow us to actually do what you're asking us. And I thank you that you have provided us with the support, this culture of us, to help one another through everything. We love you so much. Hallelujah. If you want prayer this morning and one of those things has really struck you and you want somebody to pray with you, I want to invite you to come down here. There are people that would love to pray with you. And I want to say, when you leave these doors, don't let it just be, how are you doing? Fine. Actually care about what they say. Ask a different question. What are you doing this week? Hey, what are you doing on Friday? Do something about it and help create this culture of us. Thanks.